Where is my boyfriend, Terry? What? Oh, Terry, who is this other woman? I? How could you do this to me? Welcome to episode 26 of the Minder podcast in association with Minder.org. I am your host, Paul Stenning. What red-blooded male would not love to have met Debbie Arnold in the 80s, much less spoken to her for an hour? Well, it's 2023 and Debbie is still as lovely as ever. There is a photo of Royce Mills, Arthur's accountant, on the Minder podcast website. Go and take a look, but that's the face. I now, rather belatedly, have Debbie's phone number, and can honestly say she gave it to me voluntarily. Of course, I'd be too nervous to ever use it, but at least I have it. I won't mention Debbie's age, but I will say she could pass for very much younger. Best of all, she is a great guest with several stories. So here we have a wonderful chat with Debbie about the two episodes of Minder she appeared in, both from 1985. They are, of course, Life in the Fast Food Lane from Series 6, which featured Jan Francis, and then the feature-length classic Minder on the Orient Express. We've spoken about this before, but Debbie recalls some information which I'm sure you have not heard anywhere else. There were times where she had me in fits of laughter, which you can't actually hear because I was so amused it came out as a silent laugh. She is a very funny woman. Some highlights of the interview include the very different side to George Cole, a good few tidbits on Dennis Waterman, as well, of course, as the actual filming of both episodes. We also covered Debbie's amazing talent for voices and where that may have been inspired, her transferal from being a Northeasterner to speaking posh as well. An incredible revelation regarding Jenny Lee Wright, a very touching story about Kenneth Cope, and a not-so-touching one, much to his disappointment, on Michael Winner. Did you know Debbie was married to John Chalice? I didn't. We cover John Cleese for two reasons. And the words Basque, Suspenders, Jim Davidson, Benny Hill, No Camera Up The Bum are also mentioned. Plus Debbie's ability to charm older men, which to come full circle I guess now includes me compared to the 80s. So if you don't want to listen to the interview after that introduction, you're in the wrong place. Otherwise, here is episode 26 of the Minder podcast, in association with Minder.org. Hello, how are you? All right, do you want to see me? It's entirely up to you. <laughs> well, I'm here. Hold on a second. I'll just put my camera on. Hi. Hi. I'm a bit so. Whoops. No worries. So it's not live or anything, as you may have gathered. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so no. Uh, no worries with things like that. So um, I don't know how much you remember. What you remember? Oh, lots and lots. Really? I can tell you because I did. Yeah, because I did the film and I did episodes of, of Minder as well. So as you know, probably. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, I don't know if you want to just kind of say what you do remember and we'll go from there or I could ask. You... Just ask me questions and I will answer them. Yeah. Well, the first thing that I thought was that you were in 1985, you were quite busy anyway. Yeah. And both of them were actually in the same year. Yeah. So let's go from where you were kind of why you were cast at that particular time for those particular roles in mind. How did that happen? Well, I'd. Um, I don't actually know. All I know is that the casting director adored me, and um, and I just probably done my play in the West End, so I was quite sort of hot property at the time, uh, as you are. Uh, and then I got that lovely part with 
with Dennis, the the, the the hooker, which was so funny when I had to run across the screen holding my boobs. So that's that's something else. But at least they were in a bra at the time. Um, and then um, and literally almost like three weeks after we'd finished, I was I was booked again. I thought, that's strange. And they said, no, it's a completely different part. And I said, well, how's that going to work? And they said, no, it's the movie. And so we had um, Angela. Uh, she was born. <laughs> So, well, I mean, I've got many questions just just off that, really. For instance, um, what jumping ahead a bit, why there weren't more after that? Because you could have been a regular. Well, not really, because I'd already done that episode as the hooker, and then um, and then Angelo in uh, you know the, the movie. Uh, but I was probably far too busy at that time, anyway, zooming around like a lunatic. And, and then I probably had a, I had a baby the year after, so right. Okay, so you obviously mentioned the the hooker scene, and um, that started the chain of that started when you met with Arthur in the hotel bar. Yeah, which was really funny. It took an awful lot of filming, an awful lot because it was so funny to do it. Um, and George is such a gentleman. I mean, so charming and so lovely, and which is what you've probably heard from everybody. Uh-huh. And um, uh, he was just a, a sweetheart and um, it was it was a, just wonderful to do that. And when we actually did the scene where he had to find me in bed, uh, where, where I had to be in, put, put in the flat and Jan Francis and uh, Dennis walked in, um, I, what we did was we did a rehearsal and I ran across the floor. And that's when I grabbed hold of my boobs to, to run. And they said, oh, keep that in, Debbie. That's so funny. And I said, well, it's true. I, you know, that's what I do do when I run across the, the floor if I'm wearing a a bra and nothing else that's that's what I do so they said it's really really funny so will you keep it in so I did and that's how that ended up staying in the in the thing but it was which it, it was great I, I loved it I really did love it and and Dennis was um I was married to an actor called John Chalice at the time who played Boise in Only Fools and Horses and he knew so I knew Dennis quite well because they used to drink in the same pub so um I used to see him in Twickenham quite a lot Right, well, you're the first person that said that. Everybody else, especially as like a, um, a special guest in the show, they came in, they'd never really met before, and they weren't sure how to how to take him in many cases. Who, Dennis? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I knew him. How would you? I knew, I knew how to take him. And <laughs> um, it, actually, one thing you're really going to love, when I went back to do um, the film, I walked onto the set and George said, Hello, darling. And he kissed, and now you couldn't do this today. He kissed my left breast and then my right breast and then my lips. And Dennis said, if I'd have done that, she would have fucking given me a black eye. <laughs> and I said, absolutely right. And George said, you, you've either got it or you haven't. I mean, it wasn't like, it was a little just peck. <laughs> Can you imagine if he did that today, he'd be arrested. Yeah, and also, um, I mean, in that scene in the bar with him, <clears throat> He presses you just above there. Yeah. With great embarrassment. Yeah. So, you know, he really did seem like the the last person to ever do something like that. But George Cole was very different um, to to that character. Very, very different to Arthur Daly. George Cole, you know, as you know, was very well spoken and very, very, very posh. Very, um, a very... Uh, distinguished man so that's why when he did that when when i came back on the set but it was it was done gentlemanly you know there was no way i could have given him a a smack for that because it was just sweet it was really sweet and dennis's reaction was hilarious (laughs) but he didn't i mean some people have said you know some people seem to be almost disappointed that dennis wasn't interested them in them in that way and then other people think he was perhaps overly interested when they weren't. And it's this. Well, constant... I, well, I, I had, um, the thing with Dennis is that because I knew him before, I also knew that Chalice had had a relationship with his, Dennis's wife, first wife, before Dennis was married to her. He'd gone out with her when they were somewhere at the RSC, when John was at the RSC or something. So and... Dennis always disliked John. Uh huh. Right. Because of that. And when I first started going out with John, Dennis said, you'll he'll never marry you. And I said, well, I don't want to marry him. I've only just met him. He did. (laughs) Dennis was wrong. 
Are you suggesting possibly he was slightly envious of that? No, I think he was just he, he just wanted he, he was envious of what of John and uh Dennis's first wife. Is I it think Penny Dixon. No, the one after. Patricia. Patricia. I see. Yeah. No, I didn't know that. And actually, to be quite honest with you, until I looked at some more background for you, I didn't know you were married to John Chalice either, which was quite yes. interesting to, to see. Yeah, yeah. That was at, uh, um, that was in the early 80s, was it? Where... So we got married in 1981 and mm. we, we split up in sort of 85, 86. Just very quickly, is he anyth- was he anything like Boise? Nothing like Boise. No, very, very well spoken, very austere, very, very funny, but not in a boisy sort of way. Mm -hmm. Very more John Cleese like. Yes. You know, you mentioned you'd work with John Cleese as well. What was that in? I I wasn't sure what that was for. we, We worked together. We did a whole season of adverts for stopping smoking. I don't know if you remember that. Um, it was a big campaign, a big radio campaign on stopping smoking. And I did loads of ads with him for the radio for that. And he, oh, he was wonderful. Very, very fun. Very much, very like Charlie. Same sort of weird sense of humour. Mm. So, I mean, it shows that with what you've mentioned so far, it shows um, there's a difference in, say, I saw your comments on Michael Winner. Just a slight interjection to allow Debbie to tell the story so you know what I'm referring to here. This short clip is taken from this morning from 2017. Walk us through what happened to you, Debbie. Well, I was invited to his house, which wasn't unusual because I'd already done the film for Ken Russell and I met him at his home and Clive Donner and made a film, you know, met him at his home. So it wasn't unusual to go to a director's house to meet him. Mm. Um, And then I was taken by somebody, I can't remember who, to an office and he was in there and he just said to me, right, I'd like you to go over by the window. I'd like to see you in the light. And and again, I didn't think that was unusual because I thought, you know, sometimes they'd like to see what you look like, you know, young 20s. And so I went by the window and he said, now I'd like you to take off your top and then take off your bra and massage your breasts. Wow. And I went, sorry. And he said, and I asked him twice and he said three times. And then I went over to his desk and I very rudely told him where to put it, really. Uh, I was very rude to him. And then he turned Mm. around to me and said, right, I'm going to report you to your agent and to equity. So I ran out of the building, ran out and ran to a phone box to phone my mum, who at that time was my agent. And he'd already rung her. Oh. And he'd said that to her, she went, oh, well done, darling, you did a brilliant audition. And I went, what? And she said, he was fabulous, he wants you to go straight back for a recall. And I said, do you know what he did? And my mum, oh, my darling, I'm so, so sorry. Because didn't he say to your mum that he played a trick on you and you coped with it brilliantly? And and it was a fabulous audition. I'd like her to come straight back for a recall. Not to bring a downer on proceedings, but just to compare the fact that he was this kind of lecherous, dirty old man type, and then... The gentleman way was to, you could get away with being tactile, um, provided as long as you, yeah. But but you know, with Michael Winner, a, a television, you know, a huge movie producer, telling you to stand over by the window and take off your bra and massage your breasts, it was like uh, e- even if George had said that to me, I would have said no, darling, definitely not, and he would have said, of course not. Yeah. But Michael Winner was so horrible, really horrible. Well, there, has it ever come up again? In, in, I mean, maybe not the same comment, but have you met several people like that in the business? Is that was that a problem? Through well, that? I think the, I think the thing is that there was no nobody not really not like Michael Winner because he was just not a nice man anyway. But a lot of the people used to, you know, would make a, a pass at you, but you'd be able to deal with it. Mm-hmm. You had to. It wasn't anything that was offensive. I mean, I worked a lot with Jim Davidson and I'm still working with Jim. Actually, I'm doing a new series with him. And, you know, people were, the thing with Jim is if you just, oh, shut up, Jim, you go, all right. So there was no way that any of these guys, and and Dennis included, you know, they they pushed barriers. But if you told them to stop, they stopped. Mm. Unlike Michael Winner, who was mo- much more, because you're talking about actors here, yeah. Michael Winner was 
far more you know he was a producer he was a, a film producer you know he was he was very very important so i can imagine a lot of people were frightened of him but i wasn't of course not frightened of anybody i've always said if i was if i came if i was supposed to be controlled i would have come with a remote <laughs> like that <laughs> so i mean often people can be ostracized for not playing by their their perceived rules i remember the story was you your mother was your agent hmm. yeah you weren't ostracized you might you've managed to have a very consistent career and not just in one area voice artist actress um presenter yeah just i'm doing the jeremy vine show on on uh this coming monday yeah. so um and i i'm on gmb a lot and I'm still acting, still in the theatre. Uh, just done a, a play in Sonning. I'm just about to do another one next year. So we keep going. So you're very much an exception to the rule because many, in quotes, 80s actresses or people who appeared in things in that era kind of faded away at some point. Well, I think the thing is what's difficult about it, and I think I probably did for a while when you become a mum, and you, you know, you run your family and everything else and you get divorced, uh, you know, not from John, but from David, their father. And, you know, you're juggling everything. I think that really between the years sort of 2002 and probably 2012-ish, you know, those those 10 years were, you know, just being a mum and getting myself together and doing, doing voices. Um, and now the last sort of eight years or nine years has been really good and the last two years have been you know fantastic so it's either I think that probably one of the greatest assets I've got is still being alive <laughs> I see what you mean yeah yeah um I'm just wondering with uh with the first episode of Minder that you did whether you know do you it was it one of those things where you read the script and say yes I want to do this or would you say yes before you'd even read the script no, what happens is you you audition for it. So I auditioned for it with with the director who I a guy called Ter, Ter, who was it Terry you'll know Terry Green yeah Terry Green. and I'd I'd met him before I think and um, yeah read the script um, and when I was there um, you know you get to a stage where you're where you're offered things um, later but this was before that so I just read the script and I knew I wanted to do it anyway oh hang on I'm gonna I'm gonna get jumped on hello my dogs have just come back from and walked my other dogs hello did you have a nice walk hello did you have a nice walk yeah yes do you want to come and say hello you can't be shy no it's gone away again <laughs> they're very good at hello. the camera I can't even see a an ear or anything no they, they they've uh They've now they've just come back, so they'll collapse now for a, for a while. Um, so you were saying Terry Green? Yeah, so I met Terry Green at the audition. The I think it was cast by Western Drury, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so and he loved me, and he put me up for everything, so that was great. Um, and yeah, that was it. I just did the audition and got the job. And I remember when we were filming it that um i have got a photograph actually when we were filming it of my friend had a son who um and he for some reason he had to go away and i was looking after his son who was 12 well, i think i might have also been doing the play in the west end at the time but somewhere around there anyway i can't remember what i was doing as well but i had this kid with me he was he was 12 at the time and i have a picture of me and him and i'm wearing the basque and the suspenders and everything else and there's me with a 12 year old boy and i sent it to him recently and i said you know what sol if anyone could see this i'd be done for child uh <laughs> abduction you know it was just so ridiculous it would be really all over the newspaper now that i was standing there as a pedophile with a young boy a 12 year old he said yeah but i've never forgotten it was one of the greatest days of my life i said yeah i bet it was you know he's now 50 of course <laughs> yeah now that's the difference isn't it it was um yeah. people could enjoy themselves yeah and uh yeah you um so you said that obviously the i know the film was filmed afterwards and, and obviously you were then called back to do the full length film, which was quite an unusual premise really for Minder. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, um, it was, I mean, we were great. We were, we were on, um, 
where else were we on? We, we actually went on a ferry and everything, you know, as as if we were going to France, but of course we didn't because mm. we filmed the the, the, the uh, French train in the studio, but we did the English train on the train. Is this the real train, the real orientation? The real, yeah. Built it was. It was, it was almost. And so we had all of us had to be on there every day because. You know, we might have when you're shooting something, as you know, when we when we got, you know, you get to a certain point and you're called if you're going to be shooting a scene at four o'clock, they call you at, you know, twelve thirty or whatever to get makeup and get ready. But of course, this time we had to be on that train because they they weren't sure when they were going to get to us. So we were all there at five o'clock in the morning getting on the um, the Orient Express uh, and traveling around England. And I remember there's one scene, if you look really, really carefully, you will see that it's the back of my head. And I don't, I think I might be sitting next to Anna Blackman. I can't remember who I'm sitting next to, but you actually moved, see my head because I actually fell asleep <laughs> during a take. Were you supposed to say anything? No, there was the back of my head. So it was, it was obviously another, it, they were filming that way. So I wasn't in shot. It was a, you know, it was a two, four shot or whatever it was. So I'd already done my bit and they were filming that way. And I just saw my head go, but when I've seen it and thought, I went to sleep, I fell asleep. Got to watch that now just to. Just watch it. You'll see it. Suddenly terror. like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that was a, a very distinguished cast as well. They really yeah. went to town with that. I mean, your, your Angelo was Manning Redwood. Mm-hmm. And what was he like? Oh, he was lovely. You know, he was really, really lovely. Um, and I, I said to the, the uh, director, who directed that? Was It wasn't Terry again, was it? Francis McGahey. Oh, Francis McGahey. Yeah, he was lovely. He died very recently, actually. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love Francis. He was he was absolutely great. But I remember there was there's a scene, I think, a scene where I have to be in my underwear. And I said, oh, not again, guys. And they went, well... It is what it is, you know. So, oh, the real Broenick is out again. Um, the fact is, I've just done um, another play where they said, you know, I was again in, at this great age, still in the old Broenick. So, I suppose at least I'm still asked to appear like that. But I've never actually taken my clothes off for anything, which I'm very proud of. Never ever. So, I've I've always always been dressed in the Broenick. I would never do that. I would never do any any nudity, and I would never do any Benny Hills or shows like that. Even though I, you know, there's a place for all of those things in its day, but I couldn't bear it because it was. I used to call it gynecological humour. Oh, yeah. I just couldn't bear a camera up my bum. <clears throat> Looking for business? No. I mean, that is, um, yeah, yes, yes. But uh, you, you don't have to do anything. I'm not the sort of man you think I am. No, I'm sure you're not. I, I mean, I'm... I'm not looking for, um... You know, I'm not looking for that. Something quite different. Well, that would be a little bit more expensive. What do you have in mind? I've got a motor outside. Could I explain later? Not until we discuss the money, love. Well, I don't know. Um, hundred quid. And no monkey business involved. Oh, strictly kosher. Oh, fair enough. I just got to pop to the ladies. I'll meet you in the lobby. Surprise! God, Andrew, what are you doing here? Uh, annual company do. <laughs> it's rather splendid, actually. Are you staying in the hotel? Yes. No, 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 I'm... Uh... Oh, on your own, are you? What? Yeah, you don't, don't let me keep you, Andrew. You carry on. Oh, no, I've got plenty of time, Arthur. All the time in the world. Actually, how, how about a quick snifter? The bar's still open. No. Hello? Yeah. Um, everything all right, huh? Yeah. You seem a trifle overwrought. No pressure of work, you know. Well, you should know. You are my accountant. Yeah. Oh, I say, I heard the most marvellously funny story tonight about a VAT inspector. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, apparently, this VAT man um, was uh, responsible for uh, a group of companies in the rat trade, you see. <laughs> well, there, there, there was this Cypriot company, and it went into spurious liquidation. And 
This is purely professional, Andrew. Ready, love? Pure, pure, purely professional. Yeah. <laughs> Just what I was thinking. <laughs> Were you ever proposed for um, things like that that you turned out? Always, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and also it was quite hard because we I knew Benny very well because he was a friend of my father's. And he said, you know, I just want to help you. And, and I'm sure that was right, but I couldn't do that. I just said, no, no, I'm a serious actress. I don't want to appear on your show. I just went, no, Benny, I really can't do that. Again, you've struck a very interesting balance given that because you've done silly things and serious things and certain things in between. So Yeah. Was that conscious yeah. or was it just the way it's turned out? No, it, it was conscious, really. I mean, I love doing all the sitcoms. I miss those. I think they, you know, and also I think Minder was probably one of the first sort of dramedies, you know, comedy, drama. Mm. Um, and it was it was just, you know, it, it was such a brilliant, brilliant series. And I don't know, I think I, I miss, I don't think that Gary Webster ever, sort of took over from Dennis properly because you couldn't take like no one could take over from George so I think it, it was just a hard act to follow really yeah did um I mean well, maybe just more than in this case I'm going to ask about Dennis Waterman but maybe also other actors that you've been with whether in mind or something else do they have a presence in real life like they do on the screen no I don't think so. Um, you know, when you watch Dennis work, it, he used to be able to pick a shot. And that meant, you know, he'd literally just turn his head and it, he, he just got it. And there are not many actors that do that. And he was brilliant at that. In real life, I found him very difficult. He was a difficult man. He was all right with me, but he was difficult. And I used to think, oh, God, he gets on my nerves. The minute you acted with him, he was he was dynamite, dynamite. I think he would like that, hearing that in heaven. You were, Dennis, you were a pain, but you were lovely, to, brilliant to work with. I mean, to actually work with on the screen. Fantastic actor. That's kind of what comes across both in watching him, reading about him, hearing him speak about himself. He was very honest about his faults. Mm. So were in the way he was difficult, would you say that was the type of thing he admitted to? Or do you mean... No, he was, he was just, you know, he was just an ordinary sort of London bloke. And he, you know, he, he was chauvinist and all of those things. Um, but he had a certain amount of charm, but nothing like George. I always used to just go and sit with George whenever I could. How would you describe him then as a, other than um, we've heard you use the word gentleman. And, um, I think probably every single person I've spoken to who knew him has said that. Can you? Yeah. Would you say anything else that perhaps no one has said that, that you believe? A naughty, a naughty gentleman, maybe. <laughs> um, lovely. Just no, since when we were filming it, was this a, when we were actually doing Minder itself, a, a film I can't remember? Um, you could hear that bark, couldn't you? Good, yeah. yes. <laughs> when we were doing that, um, I used to always go and sit in his caravan. I used to just go and sit with, with George and ask him stories and... I think as well, you're possibly the first person I've spoken to who um, acted with Honor Blackman mm-hmm. directly, as it were, even if you yeah. fell asleep in front of her or. No, behind, beside her, I think, on her even. No, the site, I, I actually got some, oh, I wish I could find them for you. I've got some wonderful photographs of her and I sitting in makeup with our rollers in on the Orange Express. And we all. Um, I don't know if anyone else has told you that we all, you know, every day we used to come off it because we were on it for about three weeks. It was ages. And every day we used to like, you know, because we had all the like the knives and forks and the beautiful glasses. And we'd always, you know, each one of us would sort of put one in our bags. And at the very (laughs) end of filming, the very last day on there, they came up and they gave us a big sort of like set from them, from the Orient Express. And then they said, can we have all the other stuff back? (laughs) Nick, please. (laughs) Oh, brilliant. So it was, um, had you, you'd never been on that train before at that point? No. And I will never go again, obvious, for obvious reasons. I've spent three weeks on it. Not many people yeah. have done that. 
Did you get wind and dined as you would on a normal film set, or was it special food? No, no, it was probably just the food from our caterers, but it, it was, you know, but it was served on the Orient Express. Mm. Was it with the full um, presentation and regalia and all of that? Yeah, they had to do that because they had to make it look real. Mm. That's why we had all the plates and the cutlery and the, you know, the glasses. Yeah. Was it very difficult to film on a, I mean, actually on a train, literally you're constantly in the corridor of the, of the train. Does that present difficulties, especially with. Well, no, we were, we were, we were in, I think some of the time we were sitting in the seats. We were definitely sitting in the seats when I fell asleep. I wasn't standing in the corridor. Um, No, it was, you know, it was how you do everything really. It was, it was quite difficult because the train was always moving. Um, Obviously much easier to do the French side because we were you know in a studio Hmm. is there anything else you remember looking back at that that any stories from filming or well i remember the train leaving the station and we could only do that once so when you saw us all at the beginning and then the train goes out yeah because i think that so none of us were, were getting on it it had to go um Perhaps it was going on a proper trip then, but you know that was that was quite you know literally they had one take to do that. Just because of the timing, or because uh, yeah, because yeah. of the timing, because they they couldn't bring the train back. But obviously, the, when the train went, it had to go because you couldn't be filming on a platform for hours and hours with a train there, because obviously they've got to go in and out and it's Victoria Station wherever yeah. it was. So yeah, was that cordoned off slightly for your? For that, I can't remember. Mm. It must have been. Must have been. Mm. I kept the suit for ages, the uh, black and white suit. I don't know where it went. Do you <laughs> tend to keep things like that or mementos from filming? No, it, sometimes that you know they they ask you if you want to buy it, so I bought it. Um, but no, you know, only only special things really. I just wanted to mention, I mean, other than if if you worked with anyone on that film that was particularly memorable that you had any recollections of? Um, not really. Was Adam Faith in it? Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, I've suddenly, I've suddenly started to remember bits of that. Yeah, I remember uh, him in it. Who else was in it? Uh, it was Maurice Denham. Oh, Maurice Denham. I loved him. He was a lovely man. Really lovely man. I had a, a thing for old men, obviously, at that time. Very charming. The, the older men were the were the charming ones. You know, the older actors were absolutely charming, as always. Mm. Uh, and Amanda Pace was in it. I remember Amanda. Mm. Um, um, that was it, really. I can't, can't really remember. And, and Anna. Uh, yeah, so Ralph Bates as well. And would you class... Oh, Ralph. Yeah, I remember Ralph as well. And I got quite friendly with him and his wife. Oh, Jenny was on it as well, his wife. Virginia, Virginia, wasn't, weren't Ralph and Ginny both in that? Virginia, somebody. Now you're asking. That I don't know. I think that she was. was. It was such a That's big cast. I, There's probably yeah. a, a few people who perhaps I, I don't even really know who they were, in all fairness. Um, but, yeah, the, obviously you stood out in more ways than one. And <laughs> the uh, The voice thing... You've mentioned before that some of the parts you've got maybe is partly to do with being able to do so many different voices. Yeah. I was just wondering where that started. Well, my father was an impressionist. Ah. And um, I came from Sunderland. So I sport like that, you know. It's very interesting that I saw the other night I saw uh, Brenda Blethyn and I said, I've been up for Vera five times. I've never got it. And she went... Really, I said, yes. Isn't that interesting? It's or they've always it's always gone to somebody without a bloody accent, and I, and she said, well, you're not from that. I, said, I am. No one believed me. Uh, I went to boarding school when I was about um, twelve in in um, in Kent, and I arrived speaking like that, you know. And they said, we don't speak like this here. And I said, eh, don't you? And they said, no. And uh, after about one time, I came back to my grandparents in Sunderland. And I said, hello. And my grandma said, hey, what's happening to you, Pat? Um, and so that's where the sort of upper class voice sort of came from. And it sort of stayed there. And then um, as I 
obviously because I could do those sort of voices and then then I you know could do anything and when I worked for a record company briefly um this man came into the office a guy called Johnny Moore and he said uh, oh is this Terry Brown's office I said yes it is he said oh you're from my part of the world I said no I'm not and he said well I bet you can't talk like that and I said well I bet I can and he said can you do any impressions and I said well I can do one of Marilyn Monroe and he went I've got to, I've got to take you somewhere. So he literally dragged me out of the office that I was working at 18 years old and took me to meet a producer called John Schofield doing a series called Now Who Do You Do? So I came back from the office, uh, came back to the office, gave my notice in and started working on a television program as an impressionist. But I only did one series. Um, and then I started acting in the theater and just it gradually all went from there. And then I met, it was funny, Diddy David Hamilton. I met him at a, a party. And he said, you're brilliant with these voices. And I said, yeah, he said, you should be doing voiceovers. And I said, what are they? And and he literally introduced me to a voiceover agent. And that's when that all started. Um, so that was it. So did your dad teach you directly or was did no, you? No, he was, he the... was, he died when I was very young, but I, it's, it's, it's a thing that you have. It's an ear that you can just do. So, of course, the character in Minder was very sort of, you know, down like that and in London. And, uh, you know, then you get Angelo. So, um, yeah, she was really cute. A sort of mixture of um, Sandra Dickinson and uh, Marilyn Monroe, maybe. (laughs) How is that written on the page? How do you know what what to attach to that? character was it laid out well, just that she was she was an american gangster's mall and in my head that's how it sounded right <laughs> yeah well yeah yeah you know my angelo <laughs> you know you could hardly do it my angelo where are you could you <laughs> yeah well you had to stand out as well because uh, yeah it had to be distinct um just uh, a couple of questions on something you did or two things you did that were before that one was the funny side yeah and in that were two people who appeared in mind uh, one not very much tony barton yeah and one a fair bit more who's actually relatively comparative to yourself in in the 80s jenny lee wright oh jenny i know jenny she lives around the corner she doesn't she does do you think she'd do an interview at some point i'm sure she would yeah i'll, I'll connect you to her thank you very much i should I ask you about her now or should uh Well no I don't I mean the thing is I I can't really remember uh, Jenny in the show I mean that's where I first met her but um yeah she did all of the Benny Hills didn't she and she was in the funny side with us um yeah she's lovely she really is lovely and she there she is around the corner literally I can I could throw a stone and it would land in her garden That is unbelievable <laughs> because isn't hasn't she worked as a a foley artist for recent in recent years yeah i think so yeah and then kind of disappears not like you being active and um well she's quite a lot older than me i think right um so you know i think that made a difference and she also had she had triplets quite late so i had my babies you know in my sort of early 30s and she sort of had her babies late 40s maybe even 50 so she's been a mummy Interesting. Um, there was Kenneth Cope as well in Bootle. Oh, I loved working with him. Oh, I loved working with Kenny Cope. I really did. Absolutely adored it. And I tell you what, on the first day of rehearsals, I went up to him and I said, and I brought him a letter and I and I showed it to him and he went, oh, my God. He said, you make me feel so old. Because when I was at school, I wrote to him and said, I really love you in Randall Hopkirk. <laughs> and I said, one day I hope to meet you. And he wrote me a letter back saying, and I said, I want to be an actress. And he said, good luck with your career. Perhaps one day we'll meet or even work together. Love, Kenny. And I showed him that letter. He said, my God. And I said, I've never forgotten this. Isn't that lovely? Yeah, it's wonderful. Glad I asked you about it. Has yeah. that happened with anybody else? Did you write to others at that stage? Was yeah, I wrote, I wrote to, uh, I wrote to uh, David Niven about the moon's a balloon and he also sent me a letter back quite similar to kenny cope but i've never worked with him um since no i never worked with him but it was such a lovely letter um nobody else really oh except for when i went into coronation street um in the sort of early the first time i went in there in the sort of early 80s i from probably about 1978 i used to write poems to the producer of coronation street and i used to write to him a poem every week 
And when he when I came up for the role of Sylvie, I walked into the office and there he was. He said, do you promise me if you get this part, you will never send me another poem? <laughs> I said, I promise. I got the part. <laughs> so did you do that for all the soaps that you've appeared on? Is that how you've... That's how I've got what, what wrote, wrote poems. I should I should do. No, no, but that was just for Corrie. Um, and I love doing Corrie. It was nice going back there, actually, about 10 years ago. So it's all been fun. Working with Nigel Havers, who's so naughty. He's another, he's a sort of halfway between George Cole and Dennis Waterman kind of a character. <laughs> yeah. That, In real that, life. That comes across possibly. Yeah. Yeah. other woman. Hey? How could you do this to me? What are you talking about? Who are you? Oh, Terry, come on. Come on, what? Oh, who are you? How'd you get in here, anyway? Get, get your clothes on. Get out. Go on. On your bike. Come on. All right, there's no need to shove. No need to shove. You're lucky I don't give you a slap. Go on, now piss off. Dear, what was all that about, eh? Mm, I wonder. No, don't get the wrong end of the stick. But I, I've never seen her before in my life. I've got no idea who it was. No, it's a set-up, innit? I, I bet your dad organised this. Look, Terry, it was bad timing, but really, I don't mind. It's no big deal. You're talking about no big deal. You got it all wrong. I, I don't know who she hey, is. don't get so emotional about it. I told you, I don't mind. You're free to do whatever you like. <laughs> We're really very similar. I mean, you're not the only man I'm sleeping with right now. What? <laughs> well, surely you realise that. Oh, shut up, Sarah. Well, you're just saying it's not even a score, aren't you? <laughs> no, it's true. And even if it is the first time you've seen that girl, it's still true. Terry, I don't want an exclusive relationship with you. Look, look, look we haven't known each other very long. No, I don't ever want an exclusive relationship with you, not with any man. Terry, I think you're really sweet. Sweet? Oh, God help us. Oh, you're so wonderfully old-fashioned. Don't patronise me. I don't understand you. I mean, look, what's wrong with two people sticking together for a little while, eh? Because it's boring. Oh, it's boring, is it? Oh, thank you very much. Well, I'll tell you what. As it's so boring, I'm going to bed. Alone. Um, just to mention, because it's um, it's an impressive stat that you've been in all the major soaps as a recurring character. Yeah. I mean, that's that's why I asked you about possibility of extra minded, but you're obviously, like you say, busy and. Uh, but not that mind as a soap, but how? No, it wasn't. It, I think I'd done two, I, and I did two in a year, so I think that was enough. Would you have liked to have done more? Though? Yeah, I'd love to have done more, but I was never asked. I don't think, or if I was asked, I wasn't available. Yeah. Um. The uh, just mentioned a couple more things that you've done recently. One is the. The book that you did, I was quite interested in that because I wrote a book on success and um, I saw that it was the ABCs of success. Yeah. So, I mean, you've been very successful in multiple ways. What kind of advice would you give, especially, I mean, maybe in this day and age, it's, things have changed. But if you gave advice to someone trying to emulate you in this day and age, what would you say to them? I think it's, well, my, my, both my daughters are actresses. So, you know, I'm already giving advice. It's a very different business these days. Mm. Um, you know, everyone doing self tapes and, you know, I really, I don't think I went up for an audition that I didn't get in person. And yet I've done thousands of self tapes and I think I've only got about two. Um, because I'm very good at being directed. So therefore I can read a script and give you, you know, you might say to me, read this, Debbie, and I go like that and you go do it this way. And I, then I, 
that's when I excel. I love being directed. So I find it very hard to come up with exactly what they're looking. I mean, they, they nowadays they just want you to be exactly what they're looking for without any direction. And I find that hard. So um, I, I really, you know, I would say try and get in to meet people as opposed to doing a self-tape. It's a much better way to do it. Mm. Makes sense. If you can. Yeah. Much more difficult nowadays, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything about Minder that, that you wanted to mention that I've not, we've not. No, talked? I don't think so. No. No, it's, um, that's it really. Any story on Dennis Waterman that you might share that we've never heard before? No, I don't think so. Um, no, I've told you all about Chalice and Pat and all of that lot. So, um, yeah, in fact, I know Dennis's daughters actually, Hannah, because um, Hannah's in Australia now. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they're lovely girls, really lovely girls. In fact, I think one of them was, it, I think she does, the other daughter does something in, um, what did she do? I mean, I met them when they were little girls. It's it's weird, isn't it? Mm. And now they're all grown up. Did you continue to, to associate with Dennis after Minder? Did you see him? After? Oh, we saw him. We saw that. Now, one of the funny, I've got a funny Dennis story that he did a, a show at the Dominion in Tottenham Court Road and like, you know, it was a singing and uh, Chalice and I went to see him. And for some reason, I had a very long brown wig and I said to Chalice, I'll put that on. Said, Chalice's hair was always short, you know, he had a beard. So we went to see Dennis and John wore this long, long wig and Dennis didn't say a word, not a word. And that's what made it so funny for us. Nothing. Imagine John arriving with a, with hair down to his waist. Nothing. Nothing. That's a Dennis story. Yeah. <laughs> That's a unique one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that, that you wanted to mention or that you're currently doing? No. No, I'm I'm doing, you know, lots of um daytime. I have my own my own show called Wonderbirds. Mm-hmm. which is online um and that we come back on the 25th of september from our summer break um and we've done god probably over 300 shows now um and we just hit 25 million views so we're doing very well um i'm also starting a beauty show with debbie mcgee the lovely debbie McGee, <laughs> as we call ourselves the double d's um think about that what you will um uh that's it really is that enough you're still quite busy and active. Yeah. <laughs> very, very busy. And very, Wonderbirds very busy. has Sherry Hewson as one of the it's Sherry and Harriet, who's who's just gone into EastEnders, but they, they're actually they were they did the first you know few hundred shows, uh, but now we've got a, a new sort of it's myself, Dee Anderson, um, and Natalie Natalie Ogle and uh, Caddy. Caddy, I can never pronounce her surname. She's going to kill me. But Kane, 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 Oh well, but you know, you can find it out. Uh, but she's it. It's a different format now. And then we're starting, a, as I said, a beauty show with Debbie called uh, Cosmetic Detective. So it's it's all full full speed ahead in my life as usual. And will Cosmetic Detective show people how to look? forever youthful is this the idea? well it's it's all about treatments and if they work and how they work and if you should do them really mm. it's exactly what it says on the tin i think i'll watch that yeah we do, do it, there, are, there are men in it oh right that's yeah because it's something actually people don't talk about very often it's and it's important because yeah most people don't do it and the people that do you can tell immediately have, have constantly looked after themselves yeah exactly so. And yeah. men are, I think men are the, the highest part of the industry now. Mm. They do, they do, they literally, you know, so many men getting their eyes done and, you know, things lifted here and there. So you better watch the show. I, I will. I'm on for that. Right. <laughs> Thank you very much, Debbie. Really appreciate your time. And I'll, I'll find, I'll get uh, Jenny's details for you. That would be wonderful. I really appreciate that. Okay. Take care. As long as she wants to do it, of course. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll give you her, uh, you can, Text her maybe, or I'll, I'll give you her email address. I'll find that because I only have her number. Wonderful. Thank you. All right. All Take right. care. Cheers. Bye. 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 A huge thanks to Debbie and also to Jen Gill for organising the interview and for Debbie giving me plenty of time, not to mention great information. During our chat, Debbie mentioned a Virginia 
the wife of Ralph Bates. She was absolutely right. Virginia Wetherill was indeed in Minder on the Orient Express and was married to Ralph Bates at the time, up to 1991 in fact. Over to some listener comments and emails. I had one from regular listener and fellow writer Lee Priest. Lee says, I listened to the Kavork Malakian interview and it was a cracker. Having a podcast almost dedicated to one of my favourite episodes, Aces High and Sometimes Very Low, was first class. Kivort came across really well and was interesting. I thought the Morris Michelson character was excellent and one of the rare examples where he could hold his own with Terry and Arthur and could almost have his own series. I can't think of too many supporting characters who get a second or sequel episode. I don't know much about Anthony Valentine, so perhaps that's an episode for the future. Well said Lee regarding Morris, absolutely brilliant character and he should have had his own series. Having said that, I'd not really thought about an episode just about Anthony Valentine, mostly because I'm short of information when it comes to the charming actor. Let me know if that is a show you would like to hear and I could go to work. There are some tribute episodes coming up soon, so watch out for those. Still with the Kivork interview, Chris Grant commented on, on the Minder podcast website. Wow, Kivork seems like a really nice guy and very articulate considering English isn't his first language. I never tire of watching Aces High, it's an almost perfect Minder episode. Guilty of stereotyping? Maybe, but in an affectionate rather than malicious way. And after all, Morris is shown to be just as big a cheat as the Greeks. Sadly, it would probably be considered racist today. Thank goodness Minder was made when it was, at a time when writers had more creative and artistic freedom than they do now. Quite right, Chris. Well said. He also added a PS. Two other actors also appeared in both series 1 and 10. Kenneth Cope in the wonderful Bury My Half at Waltham Green and Bring Me the Head of Arthur Daly and Tony Steedman in The Bounty Hunter and A Fridge Too Far. You're quite right, Chris. And there we are, funnily enough, with Kenneth Cope mentioned twice in one episode. I should have remembered him from series 1 and 10. Tony Steedman I had to check on as I didn't remember him in The Bounty Hunter, but you're spot on. Thanks for letting us know, Chris. And thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed another episode about the greatest TV show ever made. Cheers.